We are in our final week of Hyssop, uh, or Hyssop, however you want to say it, doesn't really matter. Everybody will reference the same thing. Um, and if you feel like, man, I'm going to miss that video, I'll send it to you. You can play yourself every morning. You can play it to yourself if you want. Uh, that's up to you. But uh, the reason why we picked this up and we've been going through this, and I hope you've picked up some practices through this. Uh, it's one of mine that I adopted into my life, and I hope that it's been fruitful for you. You've adopted it into yours. Um, and how this plant, even though it, it has literal, you know, abilities to it, medicinal, uh, the biggest one is cleaning. Uh, somebody actually sent me a picture a couple weeks ago saying they found it. You know, they found, I found a place they can buy it here. And I said, quick, rub it on your soul. You know, <laughs> grab it. You know, if you see that, they grab it and rub it. And people be like, what are they doing? Those Christians are weird. Uh, <laughs> but it also has this spiritual um, symbolism to it. And and I say it in my prayers that Jesus cleanse me with hyssop because it sounds better than bleach me, right? It's a lot more poetic. Cleanse me with hyssop. Um, and so I get it from this scripture, Psalm 51, 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. See, King David royally messed up, royally, right? And he felt so dirty. Even though he had stopped the sin, right? He stopped what he was doing, but he still felt it, and he needed God. I, I'm not just clean on the outside. I've stopped whatever I was doing. I need to be clean on the inside because the sin that I have committed has a long-term effect on my soul, and I need you to do something about it, right? And so he asked, cleanse me with hyssop because some sins have a lasting impact and circumstance in our life, but our body is usually unaffected as soon as we stop sinning, depending on the sin and the lasting effects or whatever it is, but our soul needs attention too, and sometimes we neglect it. And when we do that, we can find our place where we're hitting a wall. We can't move forward in our journey with Christ, and we don't know why. We can't step forward with the church that we're attending, and we don't know why, and it's usually because our soul needs some attention, because we're not a body with the soul. We are a soul with a body. And I hope that you've come to that conclusion in your own life. So cleansing the body is wise, but also cleansing the, the soul needs cleansing as well. So we've talked about the soul being restless. That spoke to some of you. We talked about the soul being heavy, and that spoke to some of you. And last week, Hannah did an outstanding job of talking about how sometimes we can be a tortured soul. And some of you felt tortured, identifying that you're a tortured soul. You know, it just kind of compounded, but you're able to identify it. And so today, I want to talk about something that I think that regardless, we all deal with this. This is a state of the soul that we all deal with, and it's called the seduced soul. The seduced soul. And you're like, come on, not me. Uh, it's actually more of us than we'd like to admit. Because it makes us think that we're powerless to something, right? So that's one of the the insulting things to being seduced is that we're under a spell. Like, you're like, no, I control my life. I can control my actions. And we have a little bit of pride about it. The funny thing is that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to believe that you're not seduced. He wants you to believe that it was your own choice to do the things that you're going to do. And as long as it's on you, you'll never figure, figure out that there is something trying to pull you away from your creator. So the seduced soul can be something that we all, we all struggle with, we all have, and it's truly being seduced for substitutes. 
in our lives, a substitute for God. We take something that is a, a void inside of us, something that, that we want, we desire, right? And we end up trying to fill it with things that are not, it's not what it was meant to be filled with, right? It was meant to be filled with the things of God. So in Exodus 20, 3 through 4, we find it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, uh, anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You're like, hold up, Bill. You talked about being seduced, right? Now we're talking about idols. Anything that is you put on a pedestal in your life that is not God is an idol. Anything. It, absolutely anything. The soul was created to connect with God. It was created to worship God. That's why when we come together and we worship, you could have had a crummy week, right? Crappy week. Let's just throw it out there. We just say what it really is. The rest of the words I'll hold back, even though you're probably thinking them, right? You had one of those weeks. And then you come in here and you, and you listen to Jenny and you listen to Hannah and you're like, okay, maybe I should just let all that go right now, right? And you begin to worship. And it's almost as if you feel lighter. That's because your soul is being fed. It's created to do that. That's why it's so life-giving when we truly begin to worship. Not just pay homage, but really begin to worship God. We tell our things that are bothering us and taking our attention away, you don't matter right now, only God matters. right? And so it's uplifting. But we can allow the soul to be consumed with anything other than God. And if we do that, it will never be satisfied. When you worship, you come to a point where you're like, man, I feel fulfilled right now. I feel like sometimes, depending on your situation, it takes a little bit more worship, you know, depending on how low you feel or where you're at and what, whatever you're struggling with. But you come to a point where you're like, man, I feel good. I feel fulfilled. It's because it's fulfilled with the things that it should be. Our lives are full of things of this world, and if that's true for you, you will never be satisfied. We might have stuff all around us, but there are tons of people out there that have empty souls, empty, and they don't know how to rectify it. They don't know how to solve it, and so they just keep doing the things that they think works, that makes them happy, and it ends up being something that's not what, what they were created to do. So in Deuteronomy 4, 16 through 19, it says, this is the NLT version. It says, so do not corrupt yourselves. Yeah, it says corrupt, meaning you're out of the bounds of what you were created to be. Do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether, a, uh, whether of a man or a woman an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. I like that it mentioned, like, even the critters, like everything. Because sometimes we can identify only, like, living things like other people as our idols, right? That's the easiest way to do that. We even have TV shows that say American Idol and Idol this, Idol that. But an idol can literally be anything in your life, anything that you put on a pedestal above God. And it even mentions, it says, well, it says idolatry, it says golden calves, statues, the moon and the sun. That's very prominent, right? Because the moon is very powerful things that affect this world. 
And because we can see him, it's easier to worship those things. You're like, well, that, I feel like that's kind of in control. It might be affecting you in a powerful way, but it's not the thing that's truly in control. The sun didn't create itself. The moon didn't create itself. It didn't put the energy and power behind it that affects our lives. So even if you're worshiping something that God created, that's still putting an idol before the one who actually did it. You're not given credit where credit is due. And throughout Scripture, and it's kind of funny and ironic, uh, Paul challenges the idols, right? So Paul talks about money and I mean all the letters in the New Testament. He talks about all these things. But when it's referenced in Scripture, what we find in our English language, we'll see wealth or uh, we'll see attention or pride or whatever it may be. Um, in this time, a lot of those things, they had a name. And it was a name of an idol and a god that was in a township, right? And so if like, if you wanted to get pregnant, like you go to the fertility statue in that town, right? If that, that town's built around that fertility, like all the people that want to get pregnant go to the same town. Just sounds right, right? They all go to the same town. They all want to get pregnant. Things happen when that happens, okay? Um, it's, there's no God involved in that. It's just like it's all built natural to work that way, right? If you want wealth, if you want money, you go worship the money God. So there was times in Scripture where he's talking. We see wealth. We see money. And he's saying, no, it's this God, you're putting this on a pedestal. You even named it. You've given it an identity, and you're worshiping, hoping that it's going to give you wealth. He challenges these things. It's what you know, God is to them, what it represents. Um, and sometimes even the irrelevant, the silly things, the modern life things, where we don't see it in Scripture, and just because we don't see it in Scripture, it must not matter that much. No, it matters. Even those things, and those are the most dangerous things, because it's those things that sneak up on you, that you can attach your life to it so much that it's more important that you serve whatever that is than God. That becomes an idol. We might have golden calves, things that we worship. We, look at, we need to look at how we present and enjoy things. This is how we figure this out. And what is the majority of your effort contributed to? And if we don't monitor these things, we will end up consumed. Our soul will be consumed, overshadowed, locked down because of whatever we're worshiping, whatever that idol is. So in Mark 8, 36, because honestly, even though God loves us, right, and, and he desperately wants to be in relationship with us, when we worship other idols, God doesn't really lose. He loses us and he wants us, but we're the ones that truly lose. We think that we're gaining. We think that we are because we can monetarily build something, physically build something, and we go, look what I have accomplished, right? Mark 8, 36 references this. It says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? You probably have heard this many times before because we can end up in a place where we are so desperate to see something happen here on earth, and we'll get into the details of these things in, in a little bit, so desperate that we are working to gain the whole world. We can look around the news and we can see these people who are trying to do this. It's usually the ones that are building their own rockets and trying to go to other planets. And they're like, well, there's not enough here. I'm going to go to another one and try to conquer that one. Right? They're trying to gain the whole world. But they don't even realize they're forfeiting their soul. I, I hear all these geniuses talk. I hear 
When I hear scientists who know the universe, they talk about it, and they try to disprove God, a lot of what they're saying, I'm like, that just further proves the existence and that you know that you have no control over any of this. What is it good for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? So today, we are all susceptible to this, every one of us. We can work really hard to gain the world behind us and forfeit the most important thing. Because this, this body, everything around you, you see will waste away. It will turn back to dust at some point. Yes, even the plastics that are ruining this earth and all that. At some point, it will turn back to dust. But the soul lives on forever. So let's give that some attention. So today we're going to talk about dethroning the idols of our souls. You're like, man, that sounds intense. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, you better get ready. <laughs> because if you don't, time is going to run out. And then one day, and I, this is not to scare you, I just don't want you to be baffled. I don't want you to get up to heaven and go, nobody told me. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> you get to heaven, and they go, oh, I didn't, Jesus says, I didn't really know you. You were more worried about worshiping this over here. That was your God, not me. You're like, well, nobody said. You can't say that now, okay, because I told you, all right? We got to dethrone the idols of our souls. And some of you are like, Bill wants me to live a boring life. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying know who your God is. Okay, so here are the steps and how we're going to do this. Okay, first, a lot of you are thinking this. Some of you might already know. You're like, I already know I, I have this one. Great, right? This first step is going to be easy for you. First step is identify the idols of your soul. Identify the idol of your soul. Or, I mean, or identify the idols of our souls. In Psalm 24, 3-4, it says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands in a pure heart, who does not lift up this soul to an idol. It's so difficult to identify this, right? It's so difficult to be able to go, man, well, that's my idol, or, this, or this, maybe this is just important in my life. We, we, we do this, right? We try to uh, discern what's going on in our life, it's, and it's really hard when we run into one. Sometimes it's like looking in a mirror. It's easier to see it in somebody else than it is in yourself. And those are those surreal moments where you see somebody and they go, man, I can't believe they're doing that. Or they're putting this on this pedestal. And then the person who loves you next to you goes, you're doing the same thing. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, right? And then you realize because it, it's sneaky. It happens. And so here are some examples. If you're somebody who, and I found myself in this position in my, in my family, thankfully we didn't, it didn't solely exist. But you can give up thousands of dollars and give up your weekends, uh, all of your money for sports or something like that. That's something that we do in America. I love sports. Don't get me wrong. I love playing them more than I like watching them. I love sports. But you can get to a point where you are serving. That is your idol rather than God being your Lord because you give up everything. You replace uh, in your life. Uh, you pour your life into a career to gain wealth. And then you're so stressed, you die at 55 because that became your idol. And I got to tell you, career, it will never be satisfied. There's never a point that your boss, the owner of the company, is going to go, hey, you're doing too much. Too many sales, right? 
you've made enough money. You know, they're never going to say that because we live in capitalism. That's fine. We, we work, you know, you got to work ways around it. All right, so uh, we end up in debt. We end up bankrupt. Uh, it costs you your marriage to the point where you only get to see your kids on the weekend because you're so consumed by an idol. So you can be consumed. A home can be an idol, believe it or not. You can worship your home. It can be so important to you, right? You can be so wrapped up into it. It, it can become your idol. Like I said, sports, fitness, and you're like, no, come on, Bill, fitness is good. You can go too far where it's all you think about. It's all you do. It dictates everything that you do to the point where nobody wants to talk to you anymore because you won't stop talking about CrossFit, you know, that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> it, it, it can consume you. That can become an idol. Nightlife. Man, that is a serious idol, especially in our area. There's like, uh, there's days I drive, on Sunday morning especially, I drive through, it looks like, like a ghost town, like an apocalypse has happened. Nobody's there. You got cars in the ditch. They're like flipped up, you know, because they're looking for parking to try to park it, whatever. Cool places. Don't get me wrong. I've been to them. They're a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> but there comes to a point where that's what you're doing every weekend, Every weekend, as much as possible, it can turn into an idol. The activities that you have, uh, the latest one is pickleball. Even sweet pickleball can become an idol. Now, here's where it's going to start getting real, okay? Social networking is an idol for a lot of us. Tell me what true benefit social media has, and I'll tell you how we've abused it. <laughs> And how we don't really use it for what it was truly even intended for. It becomes an idol. You become so worried. Is the world seeing the latest meal that I had? Right? Are they seeing it? Did I get enough likes? You know, that can become an idol. It serves your pride. We end up in a dysfunctional relationship with our phones. If you are, I've been there, and this is, here's a good sign. If you get ghost. Like ghost rings, you know what that is? It's like when your phone didn't do anything, but you're like, you check it, oh, did it ring, right? Because it just happened to move around in your pocket and vibrate, and you thought it vibrated, you know, that kind of thing. That is a dysfunctional relationship. I'm guilty of that. There, is, there was a time in my life where I was like, oh, God, who, who was it? Who was it? You know, who, who, what do they need? You know, and, and, and it's dysfunctional. It really is. We survived thousands and thousands and thousands of years without these things, without landlines, humanity can go on without being constantly in contact with somebody, okay? We end up in a dysfunctional relationship with our devices, our investments. We can be so consumed by our investment that we will do any. I understand grinding. I understand hustling. I get that. You want to build something, but if you're sacrificing everything, and when I mean everything, your family, your time with God, all, if you're sacrificing everything, that's an idol because there's more important things than whatever you're building in your career. Food. Food can become an idol. And you're like, well, yeah, that's why we're over. That's why I'm overweight. Food can, but you can actually do it in the other direction too. You can be such a fitness nut that, that, you, that becomes an idol. You become worshiping food almost to the point in, in either direction. Anything that we do that can controls us can be that way. Music can be, can consume us. Music is a big one. 
Because music affects you emotionally, physically. I mean, I have known situations where I have been weird walking into it, and it has a lot to do with just the music that I was. I can walk to a room aggressive, and it has nothing to do with the room. It's because I was listening to some aggressive music, right? Or, or whatever, or melodic, or whatever it may be. You can end up worshiping music. Your hobbies can end up being worship to whatever that thing is. I'm not saying don't have fun. Have fun. But if it consumes you, that's an idol. We're quick to dismiss the things as if they're not truly gods in our lives, but they really are. And how you find it, here's the places to research. If you want to find out what your idols are, where is your time spent? Where is your money spent? And what's the majority of your words? Time, money, and words. When you look at those, track them throughout a week, what you talk about most, what you spend your time on most, where all your money goes, it's probably an idol. It's probably something that you are worshiping. Okay, so first, identify the idols of our souls. The second, time, the second thing is we need to tear down our idols. Tear down our idols. Uh, Judges 6.25, jumping down a little down the verse, it says, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. This is what we call a, a righteous anger, right? It's an anger towards sin from God, right? It's so, it's so, we want to righteously get rid of this thing because it's separating us from our creator that we want to be so desperately connected to. And so not just saying, oh, oh man, that's bad. I shouldn't do that. No, demolish it. Destroy it, <laughs> If it causes you to sin and pulls you away from God, obliterate it because it's not worth your soul. It's not worth it. I don't care what it is. Don't tolerate it. Obliterate it. Literally crush it if you have to. And some of us, we would say that I'm desperate for money. That's an idol. And some will go, I know and I don't care because I'm still here and living. There's a great story about this in Mark 10, 21. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This rich young ruler went to Jesus and he's like, how do I get into heaven, right? He's got a lot of money. He's like, how can I buy my way into heaven, right? This thing that I have been worshiping, how can I use it to get the ticket? And Jesus looks at him, and he could see right through him. And he goes, no, no. He's like, I'm not your God. I, I wish he would have just pointed out and said that. I know that's, it's a parable and you know, all these things, but it, it, I wish it would have came out that way because that's truly what he's saying. He's saying, this is your idol. Money and wealth is your idol, and you will never be able to get to the Father through me if you're worshiping this. So sell it all. Get rid of it. Demolish it out of your life and then follow me. And then there'll be room for Jesus. So whatever it is in your life, you might have to demolish it just to make room for Jesus. Because right now there's no room. Because this idol is completely consuming you. What consumes you on an unhealthy level? Find it and destroy it. Find it and destroy it, whatever it is. Sever the connection if you have to. There are certain points, and you're going to have to be the judge of that. And that's going to be, here's the thing. You're like, well, what, yeah, based on Bill's standard? No, based on God's standard. Yeah. Ask God, 
How much of it do you get rid of? Do you completely destroy it? Do you snap your phone in half? You know, what, what do I do? Or do I delete some apps? You know, I, I, there, there is a happy medium. You know, I'm not saying to go out and destroy your car or anything, I, but be smart about it. Be smart about it. I have known people to do some extreme things. They'll com- completely cut out a substance in their life. They'll cut out a person in their life. They'll cut out a device. They'll cut out a whole area of town they don't even go to anymore because they know it's an idol and it's not worth their soul. So whatever it is, destroy it. If you just can't bring yourself to do it and you know that God's telling you, this is the standard, I need you to break this, I need you to get rid of it, right? If you need help, I'll come break it for you. Okay, I will come destroy it. I got lots of great hammers of various sizes um, and we can do that together. Okay, so tear down our idols. And then the third thing is, you're like, okay, well, I've identified it, I've ripped it out, now what? Now fill your soul with God. That's the next thing. Fill your soul with God. Your soul needs something. It needs. The thing is Jesus. We can try to fill it with other things, but it'll never be satisfying like Jesus. So fill your soul with God. That's why we find uh, certain psalms. So Psalm 84.2 says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 42, 1 through 2 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Sometimes this is, especially in our modern age, it's hard for us to see those words, yearn, faints, thirsts, pants, right? You hear these things, you're like, I, I don't know if I've ever yearned like that. I, I don't know if I've ever desired God in that way. You probably haven't because you've had replacements. You have found something to replace God in your life, that yearning, right? And it's momentary. It's happiness, right? And so it, you do it, and it feels good, and you've distracted yourself from the need of God. That's kind of when we become our own gods. That's why it says in the Bible, and this is not even my notes, it's, it's easier to, to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than it is to save a rich man, you know, get him into heaven. And it's not even talking about the needle as like in a needle. It's talking about a hole in the wall that was meant just for humans, and it's really hard to get a camel to go down on its knees and go through a tiny space. It's not impossible. It's just going to be really hard. As far as this world is concerned, we are rich. Even though you might not have the money and compared to your neighbor, you don't feel rich, you're rich. The fact that you get to sit in air conditioning, we can turn lights off and we don't have to have the sun come in here and we can, you can see me. The fact that I'm able to film it. The fact that you are able to leave and get in your car, which is air-conditioned, and go to your air-conditioned house, and you only have to deal with a little bit of the armpit that it is outside. <laughs> the fact that you can do all that, you're rich. Even the poorest among us have the means to replace God with momentary fixes in our lives. And that's why you don't yearn. But I guarantee you, as soon as you start pulling these idols away, tearing them down, ripping them apart, destroying them, your soul will begin to yearn again. And you'll be going, where's more of God? I'm on my way to work. 
I know I'm about to go to work and it's important to me, but where's God? Where's Jesus? I'm yearning. There are times in my life, and it's random because I'll be having fun, and I'm not worshiping the thing that's in front of me. I'm enjoying it, and it'll, I'll look up. I'll see the sky. I'll see the clouds and its majesticness, and I'll go, man, my soul yearns. Even this moment that I should be so distracted, I yearn for God. That's why we are built. That's those moments that when happiness, all the things around us aren't fulfilling us in the way that they should, and we end up in a place where, like, you feel down and out, and it's your soul yearning. You're, you're not filling it with what it needs to be filled with. So don't let your soul be seduced with a cheap substitute that only God can truly do. And you will end up in a place, and it's not a bad place, because sometimes we feel guilty about it. It's like, man, I should have a good life. Why, why am I yearning right now? Because that's the way you were built. Just as a child yearns for their parents' presence. Uh, last week, I wasn't here. I got for a second gathering. I, I was at somewhere else preaching, and I brought Gage with me. And, and, you know, he just likes being around me. He doesn't always enjoy what we're doing, but he likes being around me. He likes to be in my presence, right? And he even, I mean, he's not in here. Oh, is he in here? No, he's not in here. He laid down. I told him not to lay down. He laid down. It's fine. I get it. It's fine. You know, whatever. During my preaching, I wasn't offended by it. But a little bit after we got out, right? So we're walking out and we're waiting for the Uber to come back. And I told him, I said, hey, thanks for being with me. And he goes, oh, yeah, of course I want to be with you. And I was like, no, 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 no. You being with me gives me confidence. I enjoy your presence. And from his point of view, he probably thinks I don't need his presence because I'm an adult, right? And I do whatever. I'm his dad. But I need his presence. I want his presence. It's the same thing with God. You are a child to God. You will never outgrow God. He will, you will always, he will always be your father. And he loves being in connection with you. So just as much as my son yearns for my attention, I yearn for his. I want his attention. I want his love. God wants your love. He wants your attention. And when we take things and we put them in front of him, we worship these other idols, it is insulting. And that's why we find out that God, he's a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you. He loves you so much. I don't want to share my son with another dad. He's my kid. God feels the same way about you. He doesn't want to share you with anyone else. And some of you are like, man, okay, I've identified it. Um, I'm not experiencing these feelings. You know, I, and, I, and I, what do I do next? I can't quit my job. No, redefine the purpose and why you work. Redefine it. Why do you go to work? Is it so you can make money or is it so that you can be blessings to others and gain wealth so you can be blessings to others some more, right? Is, is that why? Change the purpose in why you do what you do. Change the priorities. That takes all the things that he's gifted you with and now you're turning it all back towards him. And so you're making all the things that could be idols, they end up just being things that worship God because you made it a priority. That's how you fix a seduced soul. Because the more I fill my life with God, 
the less damage there is to my soul. The soul is being continually cleaned and renewed. And then suddenly, and this you'll come a point, suddenly the things that seduced you no longer have any hold in your life. They're not as desirable as they once were because you're being fed in the right way. There's a great hymn. Um, we've modernized the hymn. You probably know the more the modern version. Um, and the words are, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I can't capture it any better than that. When we focus on him and we make him our true God, all these other things will begin to dim in the light of his glory and grace. The more you turn your eyes to Jesus, his teachings, his presence, the things that seduce you will grow strangely dim. And so I want us to practice this right now. So through this talk, you might have identified something in your life, or it could possibly be that, right? Again, you need to keep asking God. It's on his standard, not mine, okay? His standard is way better, and he can see way more in your life, and he can help you down that path. The Holy Spirit will come along and will illuminate the areas that you have idols over God. So whatever that is, we're going to have a moment. They're going to sing a couple of words, and I want you to sing it with us. But take that idol and say, Lord, I don't want to worship this anymore. I don't know if I should cut out of my life, whatever it be, but right now I'm telling you, you are more important than this thing, and so right now I'm going to worship you. I'm going to turn my eyes to you. And in this moment, it can happen. It will grow strangely dim. All right, let's do this. Y'all can stand. You can stay seated. It's, it's totally up to you.
this can happen so easily. And I want you guys to be ready for it. Like here, and it's, I just thought of this example. This church can become an idol to me. The success of Village Heights can become my idol. So much so that I ignore God in the direction that he wants to take this church because it's his church, it's not mine. And this is one of the follies of the American church is that we can worship the success so much that we completely remove God as much as we can so that we can control it. This church is God's, it's not mine. This moment is God's, it's not mine. He created this. In the same way for me, it is for you. Your job, your home, everything, your family, it's all his. Don't let it seduce you. And you might not, well, I'm not getting the results I want. That's okay. It's God's. I'm going to pray. And we close this out. And I hope that you've picked up some of these practices. Because this will be one of the most fulfilling things that you can do for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, if there's anything in our life right now that we're putting before you, a sneaky idol, a a blatant idol, whatever it is, I pray that we have the, first the clarity, the wisdom to see what it is, and then we'll have the courage to break it, remove it, alter it, whatever we have to do to make it not an idol anymore and something, a resource that serves your kingdom. And Lord, as we go through this process, instead of just being empty and then filling, or as it begins to empty, that we fill our souls with you so that we won't be seduced again, that we won't fall into the trap again because we we haven't embraced you yet. And Lord, I pray for Village Heights. As a church, I pray that we don't get seduced by success, seduced by jealousy of other churches, seduced by whatever is out there that could change us from the track that you've called us to take. And that's to win souls for you and to draw people nearer to you. So Lord, help us to see what it is. Help us to have the courage. And I pray that as we fill our souls with you, that we'll be an example for others and that others will see that light inside of us and they'll go, I want that. And we get to unlock that key in their life, bringing them to a Savior that can cleanse their soul. So, Lord, help us through that. Give us the courage and strength to step forward and continue to cleanse us with hyssop. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen.